On today's show, we're going to talk about our scouting process, what we value and don't value in prospects, as well as a dive into the the loaded freshman class that has taken the nation by storm this season. Lockdown wins basketball starts now. Welcome to Wallet. For the win. You are locked on women's basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Welcome, you're all Ultimate Basketball. My name is Hunter Cruz, and I'm the Saturday host covering the WBA draft and college basketball at large. Thanks for making Ultimate Basketball your first listen every day. Remember, Ultimate Basketball is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered the season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. I'm joined by co host Joshua Welch. Joshua is a women's basketball content creator and can be found at ENFP underscore hoops on Twitter. So we're going to start with just our scouting process. I have a couple questions we received um, from our good friend, Eric, friend of the show. And it's, it's a two-parter, but to start this first segment, we'll stick with this first question. So he asks, what does your typical process look like when evaluating how a prospect's game will translate to the next level? How do you prioritize strengths, weaknesses? Uh, yeah, that's, that's the first part. Just kind of just see how, like, what's a typical process. So, so for me... I try to focus on one class at a time. So I, I, I try not to focus like evaluating their games. Like, like obviously like we're going to talk about freshmen later. When I talk about freshmen's games, I'm really, I'm keeping it more open. I'm not coming to conclusions or anything because they still have three years and there's many ways to go with the development. So like usually in the preseason process, I'll create like a list of players I want to watch. I'll try to catch three to four games of them because there's some prospects like, Obviously, Aaliyah Boston, I've seen her before. Um, but besides those couple few prospects at the top, Haley Jones as, as, as well, I really try to keep an open mind and evaluate these players. And then heading into the season, try to watch more games as well uh, and see where my, where they, where their games differed from, like their sophomore or junior, junior year tape to where they are as a senior. So how, how, do, how do you go about it uh, when deciding who to watch and – just their, their process when watching pro- prospects. Yeah, no, it's a good question. I, I just feel like there's a, a lot of different directions to go with this. Um, it's, it's harder from a, a WNBA perspective than college. Like we get on four years where they're going to be playing like similar opponents and we really get to like see their game evolve over time before we need to make like absolute judgments. Like in the WNBA, especially with limited roster spots, people are wanting to know right away, like, is this player going to be legitimate or not? So this is honestly the funnest process, uh, process in scouting uh, compared to the WNBA. Like you said, like there's players that you think about ahead of time that obviously their game stands out like a a Leia Boston, Haley Jones, uh, Diamond Miller to me, like I've mentioned multiple times, her sophomore tape just um, blew me off the radar just with, uh, how amazing her uh, game was in, in multiple areas. So um, as far as other players that might not be on everyone's draft board, uh, it's a mix of games I watched throughout the season and what jumps off on the stat sheet. Uh, particularly, uh, I look at their per 40 stats rather than per game. 
uh, because games, it, it can really differ like how many minutes they get um, to really produce and everything. So if you're going off per 40 minutes, you get more of a consistent, this is what they're doing. This is what they're providing uh, for their team each and every night. So yeah. What are some uh, stat indicators just outside of the tape? Like what are some stat indicators you're like, okay, this player's worth looking at? So I feel like a big thing for me is usage rate. So like for a guard, for example, if they have like a high usage rate and like a low turnover rate, that can like, that's a good indicator for their ability to like make plays and be a strong decision maker. And then on defense, we talked about it before where there's not a lot of good defensive stats that you can like use to like actually judge somebody's defense, but steals and blocks like steal and block rate are, are super effective in like trying to determine athleticism and how, how they can create plays on defense. Cause when people think of playmaking on offense, it's like, Oh, you're making, you're finding a teammate or you're, or you're setting up a teammate with your, with your driving ability. On defense or similar thing on defense where your defensive playmaking is just how you create turnovers and start easy offense. So I try to focus on those kind of stats, but it can it can be tough to completely rely on stats because some players will play behind like super talented players in their first couple seasons. And once they become a junior or, season, or senior, their usage rate will rise. And thus you can't really rely on those first couple of years because they're in a completely different role than they are then. And then another thing for me when just like evaluating prospects is you have to actually have like an idea of what what is actually going on in the WNBA. So if it's like 10, 15 years ago, you're probably thinking if, if you have that same mindset, you're gonna you're gonna miss on a lot of prospects because 10 to 15 years ago, there was a lot of post players. There's still post players, but the post is starting to translate some more to where post players can also step out and shoot. The pace of play is picking up, so guards are more creative and they have a larger uh, offensive role. So I think your philosophy with with drafting should be similar to what's going on in the league. I've had the, we've had this conversation before. I don't think we've had it on this podcast yet, but Elizabeth Kitley, her game like on the stats, if you look at the stats, her game is like perfect for college. Slower, longer shot clock. She's going to really excel on the on post-ups. Uh, she's able to like kind of camp, camp in the paint, get some blocks, which those kind of stuff is just hard to translate to a WNBA role because her her college role is like super high usage post player. If she's in the WNBA, what, whether it's like a late first round or second round pick, she's not going to have that usage and role to kind of have that same way she was winning in college. So for me, I just try to try to decide what I think their best skill is. So with Kitley, her best skill is her post-up ability and her verticality as a shot blocker. The second part's good, but she also can't really defend on the perimeter. So it kind of like counteracts itself because she can defend on the post a little bit, but she's also not the greatest uh, athlete and decision maker off the ball. So I just try to balance those things. It's super tough sometimes. And it's, it's completely an inexact science, which is my thing. You're never going to be perfect with prospects. You're never going to be... Uh, I mean, even the worst talent team talent evaluators will still get picks right. So w- what do you think about just uh, how do you prioritize strengths and weaknesses with prospects? No, and I, I liked what you were saying about Kitley, and it brings up someone that I want to bring up uh, again. Um, it kind of goes through like a prospect changing my opinion over time, and that's Tayana Jackson 
Tayana uh, Jackson of Kansas um, last season. Like her main uh, glaring stats were like the 1.6 steals per game and 3.1 blocks last season. So just really good defensive indicators watching the film. Um, she's really good at anticipating where players are going to go and leaving that space and then quickly closing it up and getting the block and or making it difficult for the shooter to get the basket. This season, um, she's added offense to where she's a legitimate top two round prospect for me, especially watching the Arizona game. Uh, there was one shot, like it, it happened after the shot, the shot clock expired. Uh, but she was right up on Kate Reese on the three point line. Like she was pointing at her, like saying, Hey, I, I got her be- before the pass happened. And then she was there and blocked the shot. So uh, just her ability to use her athleticism uh, uh, in all areas on the on her defensive end is just really impressive. And then this season, just offensively, she has just exploded. Um, last season, she averaged 8.9 points. She went up to 16.5. Field goal percentage, 61.4% to 69.2. And then the biggest thing, 56.3% uh, from the free throw line to 77.4%. So especially with the front court player, it's crucial that you're able to knock down at, at least a good amount of your free throws. And you can tell she worked on that in the off season. And yeah, she's done everything that she needed to, to have evaluators look at her a, a little closer. So how, how many shots was Jackson taking last year in comparison to this year, just per game? Because yeah, the, that's a big thing. That's a big no, thing it as is. well with her. I, I know free throw attempts went up. Hold on. Let me pull mm-hmm. up her hoop stats. Who, uh, yeah, I'm on there. So m- Too many hours. But, too many um, hours. That's amazing website. Shout out. But uh, field goal attempts, she had mm-hmm. 6.1 last year. And then uh, this year, uh, she's at 9.8. And that just comes along with knocking down more of her shots. She's becoming more a part of the offense for uh, Kansas having a, a good season. Like without her, they're not undefeated right now. And yeah, it's just really impressive. So come on our show, we'll continue to talk about our scouting process and the two-part question from Eric. And just as it pertains to the WNBA draft, with Masterclass, you can learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere at your own pace. You can learn how to play tennis from Serena Williams, improve your shooting skills from four-time NBA champion Steph Curry, or learn the valuable team-winning uh, philosophies and uh, strategies from Gina Oriyama. With over 100 classes from a range of world-class instructors, that thing you've always wanted to do is closer than you think. Masterclass is accessible on your phone, web, or smart TV, offering free classes on a wide variety of topics, all taught by world-class instructors at the top of their fields. Each class is broken down into individual video lessons, usually around 10 minutes long. I highly recommend you check this out. This holiday, Give one annual membership and get one free. Go to masterclass.com slash locked on today. That's masterclass.com slash locked on today. Terms apply. Thanks for making Locked On Women's Basketball your first listen. Check For your second listen, check out Locked On Sports today. From the games that matter most to the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports today, available on this app, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. So let's get back into um, our second question, the second part of the question from Eric. And we'll also talk about um, some freshmen later on. So this question is like, okay, 
how many players until you feel like you have a good grasp on a player's ability? So when you're watching someone, how many games is it so like you can come to a good idea of how many of how you feel about a prospect? So for me, I would say it's like three to four, but it, it depends heavily on the prospect. Exactly. There's some there's some players where if you watch their game, you're like, okay, they're not a prospect. Like almost you can there's sometimes sometimes you can just tell. Like if, if there's a wing player that can't shoot and can't really defend, okay, they're not probably a prospect. But if there's like if there's like a post player that can't shoot and is not good from the free throw line and can't really defend on the perimeter, but she can she can score at the rim, there's like, okay, she's probably not a prospect either. So what do you think, like, how many games do you think is, like, a good, like, a good, like, a good gauge of, uh, like, a prospect? Like, how many games would you say I have to watch? Yeah, I, th- I thought you put it, put it perfectly on just it depends on the prospect. And going back to what you said in the last segment, uh, just how the WNBA is evolving, uh, I don't think someone can just have one strength, like three-point shooting, or someone's, like, a really good rebounder. Like, you need to be able to contribute in multiple ways. Uh, to stay on the court and stay uh, on a roster with how competitive it is and how much talent is in the W. Um, But yeah, as far as games, just some players, like it just explodes right off the page. You're like, okay, this player goes hardcore on defense. They're able to knock down shots. Uh, I'm going to say something bold right now, but Tanaya Latson of Florida State, just – what I've seen in film so far has just been incredible. I, I see instant lottery pick. If there were more teams and roster expansion to the point where players could leave early, I would wonder in the W after this season, just what I've seen so far from her. It just her athleticism is, and just her compete level is just off the charts. And yeah. <laughs> so like you said, with like players needing to have more than just one skill, You'll see a term thrown around three and D. I don't really like this term because just think how many players in the league are can strictly shoot threes and can only defend. Like there's there's not many. Like uh, I had a list of players. Let me pull it up real quick. Of just okay. The the number of three and D players is not a lot. So what I would I would rather call them as like utility wings. But these are the players that you'll like consistently see with like oh they're a three and d alicia gray you also see like gabby williams alicia clark dejanay carrington rebecca gardner emily angsler rebecca allen these type players you'll say okay three and d but like most of those players can do more than shoot and defend like alicia gray has some fun passing i mean her role is pretty large her, her role was pretty large a borderline all-star this past season and then, like, Gabby Williams, she's closer to 3 and D, but she can drive. She's got some good length. Same with Emily Angsler. She's a good driver as well. Uh, not as much coming from this past season. So there's there's just oh, some archetypes. Yeah. yeah, there's some archetypes that, like, people will try to pigeonhole them into a single role when their games are more than that. So if there's a, if there's a player with one skill, there's, there's some players, like, that have one skill. But if they have that one skill – they have to be like top of the league in that one skill. If that's their only thing, because like exactly. on the men's side, there's someone named Duncan Robinson for the Miami Heat. He can only shoot threes, and that's he went undrafted. He's cracked a role, isn't effective as a defender, got a lot of money. So you have to really be an elite shooter to 
whether it's the men's, women's, whatever sport, if you have one skill, you have to be elite at it. So are there any other like other archetypes that you would say you value? Whether it's like a, like a lengthy forward, what's an, what's an archetype that you just really value uh, in terms of just like, okay, if this, if this is an archetype and I'm watching a game, I'm instantly intrigued. Yeah, good question. Um, yeah, just lately I've been focused on like playmaking point guards. Like I just feel like um, it's a lost art. Like the, I feel like there's a lot of scoring point guards. Like you know how big I am on Deja Fair. Um, but yeah, players that just the big indicator for me is assist the turnover rate with that. Like what players are really excelling and setting up their teammates still have a shot themselves, but really their primary role is setting up their teammates and getting the offense going. So, uh, yeah, on a mid-major level, uh, McKenna Hofschild of Colorado State um, has been incredible. Uh, been record-breaking for that school. Um, right now averaging six assists and um, shooting uh, close to 60% on three-pointers right now. Like, So just having that passing ability with a consistent shot, it, it's something uh, that I don't think – is uh as consistent as other times like there's just so much focus on scoring for the point guard but just someone that can control the offense and just set up their teammates and it's something i'm looking for for my team in the atlanta dream going beyond scoring especially if you have multiple shooters who's going to be able to start that offense like drive to the basket and then be able to feed it outside or feed it to the person um to the left or right of them just constantly having that awareness and vision to um, scope out the offense and what's going to be the best decision. So like you said with Hofschild, she has like a, a 4.7 assist to turnover ratio, which is absurd. Absurd. <laughs> like there's some other players on this list that have like two, but that's like an extremely big outlier. Like I'm scrolling down this list. There's uh, Laura Jensen from Creighton. There's also like, um, let's see who else. Like Olivia Miles, like I watched some of her game today. Like she's going to be an incredible talent too. Just love her game out of, of Notre Dame. Like just a, another player that if their shot isn't falling, like you know that they're going to have that ability to to feed their teammates. So really excited for her to be joining the league in a couple years. So players like that, that they can score, but you yeah. know they're mainly known for their passing. So so after the break, we'll we'll dive into some notable freshmen, some notable freshmen in this class, and then tie it back to our first segment on just what we value in prospects and kind of just like how we level out between okay, this is translatable and which is not. So I'll send it. To, I'll send it to you first, Joshua. To give me your first player that maybe you want to start with uh, Latson of who's your main standout from this freshman class. So I, I already talked about Latson. Just mm-hmm. again, incredible player. I I I think their draft lottery material. Uh, what I want to focus on a little is just Minnesota's freshman class. Um, I've had a, a chance to watch a, a few games of them now, and yeah, I gotta say it's just not about the transfer portal and being able to progress a a rebuild season in college. Like Minnesota is just super exciting, uh, especially Mara Braun. Um, she's averaging 19.8 points, 2.4 three-point makes, two, 4.3 rebounds, 2.8 assists, two steals. Just another player that contributes in so many ways. And 
Um, for anybody who had a chance to watch that wild Penn State game, like she was just so clutch from the line. I believe she went 12 for 12. Um, so just a, another player that is just absolute clutch and could definitely be a top five pick later. And then Katie Borowitz and Mallory Hare and uh, Battle uh, all averaging 10 plus points for that team. So uh, it's a lot of fast paced scoring fun, but also a lot of mistakes. But yeah, like I just think again, there has to be roster expansion and team expansion with just all the talent. Um, that's coming this way. But yeah, outside of Minnesota, um, going to your point of not being able to see players as much, um, I really like Lauren Betts of Stanford, like the limited minutes I've been able to see of her. Like she was a top, one of the top recruits going to that school. And yeah, you can just tell uh, she has a lot in her bag and it's going to be a lot of fun when um, she gets an increased role once players graduate and she gets increased minutes. Um, but what about you? What are some freshmen that have stood out to you? I'm going to guess that you talked about Kiki Rice, but <laughs> maybe you surprised We talked me. about her a little bit in, in last episode. I'm going to go to Cody McMahon. Whenever I talked to J.C. Sheldon a couple months ago, she was very complimentary of uh, Cody's game. And she's one of those players I was mentioning earlier where she's got a smaller role because Ohio State's extremely experienced with their roster. So she's Filling into that more lower usage role this season, uh, like she has, she has a, she's only she's only played 170 minutes this game this season, and she's averaging less than 20 minutes per game. But a couple of indicators, like I said earlier, she's in the 100th percentile in terms of steal rate, 79th percentile in terms of block rate, and this is like a 5'11", six foot wing, who is kind of filling in that more of an off ball role. She's shooting 30 percent from three, not a lot of attempts. Uh, she's struggling from the free throw line as well. So, like I said earlier, I wouldn't come to conclusions on her game. I think the jump shot's fine. So we'll just see where she develops. Because, like you said, we have like four years of sample size to determine who's a shooter and who's not. Because on the NBA side, there's one season, and it's, and it's easy to fall into the trap of like, okay, this player's just having a hot shooting streak, and that raises their percentage up. But if you're over like a four-year span, that's a large sample size that – is really it, it can really indicate who's good and who's not, at least from shooting it, at least. So my next player I want to talk about a little bit was uh, Maya Naji. She hasn't – I don't think she's played this season uh, for Arizona. But why I think I'm interested in her game is the size and the fluidity with her game. She's six foot four. She's related to Zeke Naji. He's, he's a center for the Denver Nuggets, so she has that family background in basketball, extremely skilled. And like I said earlier, looking for different archetypes. She's that big, big center that can also like move a little bit, which is extremely valuable. Like we see with Cameron Brink. I'm not comparing her to Cameron Brink, but just that kind of skill set where you're having a lot of versatility in your front court. So is oh, there anyone by the else? Way, um, I, I had a chance to see Maya Naji because I was watching that Kansas-Arizona game. So she's mm-hmm. played in seven games this season. Not oh, a really? ton of minutes, but... Um, for a freshman getting close to 15 minutes a game is actually pretty decent. Um, yeah, I I thought she was overall solid. Um, like she's shooting 69.2% from the floor. Um, she wasn't that efficient definitely in the Kansas game, but she set herself up for some looks and you can tell that she has, uh, an outside jump shot, which is unique for her position. So yeah, that's someone I can definitely see 
uh, being a potential prospect later on in their career. But yeah, no, they were, that was a interesting. I must have missed that. Yeah. Cause she had, she had 17 points, 17.7 rebounds and one assist and one steal against San Diego a couple weeks ago. So I'm definitely gonna need to watch some more of her this season, but the the skill set's intriguing. Is there anyone else you'd like to talk about in terms of freshmen? Yeah, going going a different direction than freshmen. Sorry, I know you just said freshmen, but is there anybody uh, like who was injured, like where there was a smaller sample size, and now you're finally getting to see them healthy, kind of like a, a Diamond Miller from sophomore season to not being fully comfortable in their junior season and then excelling this season? Who's someone that you may have not gotten an opportunity in previous seasons to see their full potential um, that you're seeing now. Hmm. And while you're thinking really quick, mine is mm-hmm. Leah Brown of Michigan. I, I talked about her in our chat, uh, but just had some incredible games last season. And it's unfortunate that um, she missed a chunk of time due to injury, uh, but just had that amazing game against Baylor last season. It's just another player that, just contributes in so many different ways. I like her passing. I, I like her outside shot. I like her compete on D. And if she's able to stay healthy this season, she's another player um, that I could see going in the the first two rounds just in what she brings to a team and, yeah, just how she's improved over the years. And, again, just crossing my fingers that um, we, we get a close to a full season uh, of her being able to, to show off what she has. So my player is Madison Greeny at Ohio State. Sticking with Ohio State, she only played 15 games in the 2020-2021 season. She was out all of last season. She's played nine, nine games so far this season. She's averaging 10.1 points, 5.9 assists, three, three rebounds, 2.6 steals. The steals is like a big thing you see with pretty much every wing and guard player at Ohio State. They force turnovers like crazy, like Still yeah. going better that Tennessee Especially game. Especially this season. I, I still can't believe that Tennessee game. That was absurd. But she's incredible. Yeah, her splits, her shooting splits, 53% from the field, 57.9% from three, and 72% from the free throw line. She doesn't take a ton of threes. She takes like a couple a game. She's having two, yeah, two a game, two free, two free throw attempts per game. She could technically return next season or actually a couple of years because this is her third college season. But she's also draft eligible. So she's a player I was excited to watch just because she wasn't there last year. And Ohio State missed that extra guard they could have as a ball handler because Taylor Mikesell isn't the greatest ball handler. She's more, I'm going to run off screens, fire off some threes. So just having that extra guard in their in their backcourt has been huge for me with Ohio State. Oh, and what you bring up uh, brought up an, another interesting question, like, uh, just outside of injuries, but like players that have been with a in college for a, a few years now, and then maybe finally getting opportunity later on. Like I think of immediately uh, Emmy here. Would she get more minutes staying another season potentially and upping her draft stock? Like again, just uh, someone who's really athletic and it hasn't come all the way together. Um, are there any players besides Emmy here that you can think of? Like, hmm, I, I like some of what I've seen. Maybe if they come back a fifth season and potentially get an increased role, there might be something there. I'd probably say maybe Hannah Jump. Maybe we see some more from her if she returned next year. But also Fran for them as well is another player that can return. But Stanford is super tough. Just they have so much talent coming in and out. Um. 
There's also yeah. like we we talked about it with Kiki Jefferson. We talked about I don't know if we talked about her on this podcast, but six eleven forward from James Madison. She's a player that could really benefit from transferring up. Like it's kind of like the opposite of what you're saying, where where she could transfer up. Maybe her role goes down a little bit where she's not taxed with such a large role and see more from her against big opponents. Cause we saw it against North Carolina. She had like a 25 to 30 point performance, was driving downhill like crazy and scoring on a really good North Carolina team. So she's a she's a player I've, I've been intrigued with this entire season and heading into the season as well. So if she could transfer up, that'd be a big thing. But I would I would probably draft her as well. Uh, with like a second or third round pick, just given her her skill level. No, yeah, no, that's a good point. And yeah, I, I made a list earlier of 20 players that are draft eligible and also transfer eligible. And yeah, she was definitely on that list, just eye-popping numbers. And it'd be interesting to see what she's able to do at another school and if she can bring um, those same numbers. Similar to like DeAsia Fair, she hasn't had a whole lot of competition yet, but you can tell uh, that she brings the the same numbers, the same style of play. Um, regardless of who she's playing. And it'd be interesting to see what other players step up. Um, going Sydney another t- direction. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say Sydney Taylor at UMass, another player. Yeah, she was on my list too. Well. Yeah. Yeah, she could transfer up as well. Um, I would probably Kanisha draft Lockett. her. Lockett. Yeah. Know, but yeah. She's, uh, she mm-hmm. has only played four years coming into this one. So, yeah. No, and there's a, a decent amount of players that are killing it in mid-majors. Hofschild, who we brought up earlier, but could she put up the same ridiculous passing numbers at another school? Like, I don't know, like the Haley Cavender, like transferring to Miami, just like watching her tape, I knew it wasn't going to translate. Just watching out, like, it just wasn't coming together against tougher opponents. Like the Mountain West, they can definitely The Mountain West is like... I'm pretty sure the Mountain West was like one of the worst conferences last season. Like, yeah, there's some good teams, but it it just varies widely, like who you're going to be able to play against. But Hofschild, like, just how she contributes in multiple ways, and just watching her even against tougher opponents, I, I think it would go different for her. And really quick, if if we have time, just going a, another direction, uh, players that had huge roles at even a, a Power Five school taking a lesser role with a, a bigger school and potentially getting a bigger role the season later. And I think of Brene Alexander with Maryland, like she was the player with Vanderbilt and it's basically like a three point specialist this season with Maryland. And um, she started off the bench and now is a, a starter in their lineup and someone who I'm a big fan of on their defense as well. And will potentially be a prospect next season uh, if they're able to continue to expand their game. Yeah. So what my main takeaway from just this entire conversation is scouting is tough. So yeah. it, it's it's super tough, but the main thing you can kind of expect is the top three picks, they're, they're usually going to be good players. And that's the main thing. They're going to be good. So if you're really trying to find what's going to separate good teams from the great teams are the ones that can draft outside of the top three. Definitely. Um, I mean, I guess, I guess, like the one exception would be like would be Las Vegas this past season, just because they had so many picks in the top three. Maybe Indiana is trying to take that same strategy of just trying to have as many high caliber picks as possible. But if you can draft on the edges, we see with like Washington, for example, um, a lot, a couple of their players like Atlanta Deladon, 
uh, Natasha Cloud. They were both second round picks. So that, and they were, they won a championship. So just having a lot of different uh, ways you can go with the draft, just not relying on top level talent and trying to tank for those talent. I think Atlanta's another team that's kind of ex- excelled just getting talent on the edges. Chicago as well. Definitely. Now, Chicago so the, outside of the draft, especially like going mm-hmm. for overseas talent, and there's going to be someone uh, that uh, he brings. Like, it, it, he goes overseas, like over the offseason, like routinely. So, there's going to be another player he's probably going to, Coach Wade is going to bring back for next season that we're going to be. And they bring about, in, so. they bring in so many players for training camp. They just try to see, okay, if we have all these players, there's got to be one of these players that can make a role and fit with our team. Exactly. So, but yeah, but many- it's really hard to yeah. like do this in the 30 minute segment. Like I could go on and on. There's other things that pop to my mind. It's like, so sometime during a playback, you, me and M will just have to take a, a longer discussion in between plays and halftime to go over more philosophies and players that step yeah. up. Cause it's a really interesting conversation that doesn't really have an end. Cause like you said, there's just so many factors depending on the player that goes into this. And there's not, there's not one like, there's not one thing that you can succeed with. There's teams that can definitely succeed not. in many different ways. Every team has their own strategies. No team's the same. So, like, if you're taking over a franchise, it's hard to just say, okay, I'm going to implement my system when you already have a star player that plays a different way. So are you are you going to adapt to how that player plays? Or are you going to try to, like, compromise how that player plays just to fit how you want to win? So, exactly. And then there's players like Maya Caldwell with Georgia. Mm-hmm. All her four years, she didn't average above 10 points. So you don't you wouldn't think that they would be an efficient score when it comes to the W if they weren't able to do it in the SEC and then just absolutely crushed it with their three-point yeah. efficiency last season. So, yeah, it, it really takes doing that scouting and going above the stat sheet. Like you said, it's just a, a mix of both. And, and we, we yeah, love the stats, but the stats aren't everything. There's a lot of stat people out there that just look at stats too much. Not going to say names, but there's too many too many people out there that just overlap. I think I look at stats. stats too much, but just for my own. No, no, but there's <laughs> no there's people that only look at stats. Oh yeah, like it's like seventy five percent of their thinking is stats, and fifteen percent are like twenty. Whatever the math would say, fifteen twenty five. <laughs> whatever the math, it, okay, whatever the math says. That's um, it has to be a mix of what you see on tape and then what you're seeing on the stat sheets and in individual games. Yeah, the stats have to complement yeah. what you're seeing on tape, not the other way around. Yeah, okay. I agree. <laughs> okay, thank you for making Locked Ones basketball your first listen. For your next listen, check out the Locked One Sports Today podcast, the biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day. Available in the Odyssey app, YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts.